Welcome back. Continuing hour number two. Really looking forward also to our uh, conversation with Paul West covering Major League Baseball because now we're getting to that under 30 days till pitchers and catchers report. We're looking forward to uh, the Bryce Harper sweepstakes, the Manny Machado sweepstakes, and wishing him good riddance wherever he goes. Plus this Kyler Murray fiasco with the Oakland A's organization. We'll do that in the 9 o'clock hour. Right now, we got to get caught up on what's happening both on and off the course on the PGA Tour. Where we wrapped up the Hawaii swing last weekend with Matt Kuchar winning the Sony Open. Now we return to the mainland uh, coming up this weekend, the Desert Open. Joining us right now on the Fox phone lines, our next guest. He runs the operations over at GolfNewsNet.com. Our very good friend, Ryan Balji. Ryan, good morning. Thanks for being with us. Hey, Steve. How are you? I'm well. Thanks for taking time with us this morning. Uh, arguably one of the more popular golfers on the tour is Matt Kuchar. Wherever you go, you hear the chants for him uh, in the galleries, what have you. An emphatic win this past weekend uh, in the Sony Open out in Hawaii. Yeah, he uh, dominated pretty much from the beginning. He shot 63s in the first two rounds to set himself up with a one-stroke lead going into the weekend. And his really only challenger on Sunday was Andrew Putnam, who who has won on the PGA Tour before, but certainly is not and did last year, but certainly was not in the same conversation of quality of player as Matt Kuchar. And Kuchar came out, struggled on Sunday on the front nine. I think he was four over uh, early on in the round, and Putnam got the lead, but give it to Kuchar for going back, getting the lead, and really playing great down the final five, six holes to wrap up a title that in the end looked really easy, but it wasn't. Right, because he does say he had those stumbles early on on the round on Sunday, as you mentioned. So uh, a good win for him. Now we move our attention over stateside now, over to the uh, over to the mainland this weekend. We'll talk about that tournament here in just a moment. There's an intriguing story, and I did not realize it. I know you have been especially critical of the world golf rankings, and I know you've been especially critical of them as far as how, how their procedure goes out here. And I did not realize how many times just in the calendar year 2018, the number one golf ranking in the world has changed. Right now, it's Justin Rose, who didn't do a single solitary thing last weekend, I uh, should be noted. But we started out 2018 with Justin Johnson at number one. Then it was just Justin Thomas for about a month. Then it was Justin Johnson again. Then it was Justin Rose for about for about two weeks. Then it was Justin Johnson. Then it went to Brooks Kepka. Justin Rose, Brooks Kepka, Justin Rose, Brooks Kepka, Justin Rose again. I did not realize it changed that frequently, and that goes to what you've always talked about as far as how antiquated a system the rankings really are. Yeah, it's it's a weird system. I mean, it's a rolling 104 week measure of a golfer's ability to score points in bigger tournaments. So you score more points, obviously, the higher you finish in a tournament, but also the better players that the more better players that are in a field, basically top 200 players in the world the more points you can get for finishing higher. So it, it really is a strange system. It, it deprecates points evenly after the first 13 weeks, and then it's in 91 equal installments. I know this is all very inside baseball, but basically it's a big Excel spreadsheet that spits out an answer every week as to who is number one in the world, and it doesn't always tell us who's the best competitor right now versus it tells us who the best player was over the last, couple of years ish and so right now with the world ranking being so close with justin rose and brooks kepka you got justin thomas within striking distance dustin johnson as well there are four or five guys that could 
legitimately claim number one in the world with a good couple of tournaments in a row, basically. And so for now, until either Justin Rose or Justin Thomas or Brooks Kepka or Dustin Johnson kind of separate themselves with a little bit of a run here where they have a win and some high finishes or a couple of wins in a, in a small period of time, we're going to go through this. We're going to have this back and forth over and over again uh, until there's a clear number one established. This really has not happened in the history of the official world golf ranking, certainly in the modern era because Tiger Woods dominated this ranking for 20 years and even before then, maybe 2015 or 16 where we had some back and forth with Jason Day and Jordan Spieth and, and Dustin Johnson, but not quite to this level, not quite this level of closeness and what the statistics, what the algorithm says, uh, tells us is the number one player in the world. So okay. it's going to be a little while before we figure out who is actually the real number one. And to use the analogy you gave out a moment ago, that it being sort of like baseball in, in terms of, you know, way, way too weird statistical categories. If you were to do something like this in the NFL – with the parity we see now in the National Football League, I imagine the number one team would probably be someone like New England. I mean, just because of the amount of success over an extended period of time. It may have nothing to do with what they've done recently. It may have everything to do with what they've done recently. But it really does date back to this X amount period of time. Whereas if you were to use a, a basketball thing, okay, Golden State, because they've been really good for a really long time, so they would probably remain number one. But if you're if you're using a, another sport analogy here, again, it would be New England probably number one. In, in baseball, you might have the Boston Red Sox. You might have the Houston Astros. You might have the Chicago Cubs still, you know, based on the last three World Series. It's kind of a weird system. It is. And our world ranking system basically evaluates golfers on two years' worth of performance. And in some cases, I'll give you a really good example. Cameron Champ doesn't have two years' worth of performance because he hasn't been a professional that long. And so he has a PGA Tour win under his belt. He is in the top 100 in the world, but he is actually penalized by the world ranking scale because he hasn't played at least 40 tournaments as a professional in the last two years. So his world ranking is way lower than it actually would be if you just did what you kind of normally would do if you were thinking about this and just averaged out all of the points that, for all the events that you have played in the last two years. If you did just that, if you didn't do the, the minimum divisor as it's called all circles, then Cameron Champ would be in like the top 30 in the world, and he would easily be in the Masters. He wouldn't have to worry about finding a way into the top 50. All of this stuff that kind of hampers him at the moment, it, it exists because of the official World Golf ranking and the way the formula is devised, so, and because it makes such an emphasis over quality over time. There has been some talk over the last couple of years to maybe shorten that window, maybe make it 18 months or 12 months that, that rolls. But unfortunately, the nature of the, the system is, especially the way the, the, the majors work now, you kind of have to make it at least longer than a year because we have majors concentrated in four consecutive months. So every once in a while, they would drop off and cause a radical shift in who we think is, is tops in the rankings. And I, I don't think golf is ready to do that yet. Uh, but... Wouldn't it make more, I mean, and obviously I know the answer to this question before I ask it. Wouldn't it make more sense to just change it? I mean, does it, I mean, do they have to have such a complicated algorithm to this? Can't you just be like what you said a moment ago? Look, it's based on most recent points. It's based on most recent events. That's how we do things in every other sport. Why can't mm -hmm. they just do that for, for, the, for the world golf rankings? I think that's reasonable. I would like to actually see more turnover in the official world golf ranking because it is pretty hard to move up. Even when you win a tournament, 
Uh, if you're someone who wins a big PGA Tour event, if you win a major, you get 100 points, and you go up a lot. But you don't go up as much as you think you should, especially once you kind of get to the higher reaches of the official World Golf Ranking. So it, you, you gain points quickly, but you don't rise easily. And then if you start to kind of shed points, you go through a skid, you lose points pretty easily. So it rewards, sort of rewards winning, but it doesn't reward it as much as it should. And it probably doesn't penalize enough when you play poorly because it plays out over too long of a time. So Jordan Spieth had an absolutely horrible 2018, but he's only 17th in the world now. If we had a scale that was maybe more based on a year at a time and maybe deprecated points a little bit more aggressively, I think you could easily say there are at least 30 players better than him right now, maybe 40 players better than him right now. So I think that if, if we were more realistic and, and more front-loaded in terms of valuing points, I think the system would be a little bit more reminiscent, would be a little bit more emblematic of who actually is the best player in the world at the moment as opposed to over a, a 12- or 24-month time frame. Right. I mean, you look at back, all right, just looking at this current 2018-19 season as it's playing out right now. Xander Schauffele has won twice. You've got, uh, you mentioned Cameron Champ a moment ago. Mac, uh, uh, you've got uh, Bryson DeChambeau's won. Matt Kuchar's won twice so far this season. Those would arguably be Bryson DeChambeau, Cameron Champ. Those guys would be on top of the current rankings. If you were to do it like we do it in every other sport, the team, the, the, team, the participant, whatever, that's winning the most consecutive at this particular time would be on that list. I don't see Dustin Johnson's name anywhere on the list of winners this season. I don't see Justin Rose's name. And I get it. Some of these guys take time off and what have you. But that should penalize you. That shouldn't reward you with still being atop the rankings. And I think that they, they've stuck by this because now the official World Golf Ranking determines a lot of the Masters field. If you're in the top 50 at the end of the year or if you're the top 50 in the world the week before the Masters, you get in. So that's a big goal for a lot of players to get into the top 50. So based on the way the golf calendar works and because so many players basically play a very light schedule from October through February, they – don't want to penalize those top-ranked players who are able to take a break and don't need to earn points and money to be able to keep their tour status, respectively, whether it's European Tour, PJ Tour, whatever it is. And so they're going to stick by this unless they can devise a way to effectively allow top players to continue taking their breaks, basically their five- or six-month break at the, begin- the end to the beginning of the year and still allow them to get rewarded for their play during the meet of the year. And I think that's why they continue to have a two-year cycle. Frankly, I think it should be an 18-month cycle. I think that would be more effective. I think you should eliminate the value of points faster. So like I said earlier, you get to keep the value of your full value of your points for 13 weeks. That makes all the sense in the world. But then they start to go away in 191st segments for the rest of the two-year period. So, yeah, I know. So you, you lose these points very minimally over time until they kind of all go away. I would like to see them go away faster, and that way you, it would be a little bit easier, I think, to just say, okay, it's a 12-month period. You can keep your points for 13 weeks, but now we're going to get rid of them over the remaining weeks of the 52-week period before you have to go play that tournament again. And then that way it rewards you for maintaining the same schedule. It probably encourages you to play a little bit more in the fall and the early portion of the year where you might not otherwise. I think that helps things out a little bit. But um, 
There has not been enough movement in golf to change it yet. Maybe it will come. I hope it does, but I don't see it coming anytime soon. John Rahm won the Desert Classic last year. It has been raining a lot in Southern California. We head out to La Quinta for this weekend's run of the Desert Classic, and uh, rain could be a factor again, whether it's current rain this weekend or certainly just on the course itself. That could make things very interesting at La Quinta this weekend for the Desert Classic. Yeah, we don't usually think about this tournament as, as like super soft, but you do think about scoring conditions as being really good. So it might be even better now because it's already termed dome golf because you basically hardly ever get significant wind, and you usually have sunny conditions and perfect ball flight conditions. And if it's a little bit softer, a little bit more receptive, we usually think about this tournament as like 18, 19, 20 under winds, or maybe we're thinking 23, 24, 25 under winds. So... I think you have to go really low in this tournament. You really have two courses where you can do that in the rotation, and then you play the stadium course at PGA West, which is a relatively difficult golf course. So you've got to make your hay in those first two cracks of the other, you know, your two cracks of the other courses in PGA West in this rotation. You probably have to play them something like 16 or 17 under to give yourself a chance. So I think there'll probably be a lot of pressure on guys to go deep early and. Beyond that, you're, you're probably going to wind up like we did last year with just a couple, maybe two or three players who are going to have a legitimate chance to win in the end. Everyone else will kind of get blown away and play for the beef flight. It's going to be a lot of fun. We uh, check out all the coverage and everything you need to know about the world of golf by going to golfnewsnet.com. Ryan Balangie, we appreciate your time very much this morning here on the show. Appreciate your time. Look forward to talking again next week. Thanks, Have a great day. That's Ryan Balangie joining us here on First Sports. We'll take a quick time out, wrap up our number.